in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbardis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. Chad, how are you? I am riding in the passenger seat today, ready for the Dustin bus. Ready <laughs> the Dustin bus coming through. What did you have for dinner tonight, Chad? I had a steak grilled cheese burrito from Taco Bell in like five minutes because I had to do sound for some people. I had a little uh, General So's chicken and lo mein noodles. I was in a noodle moodle. Oh, yes. That would be much more appropriate for our transition later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, de- we'll describe that movie in just a moment. But first, I'd like to welcome our guest coming from Houston, Texas. This is my friend, Evan Gardner. Howdy. How's it going? We're happy to have locals here. I, I have to actually also say thank you to Cam because oh, yeah. she was the one that said, you got to get Evan on the podcast. <laughs> Like, I'm happy to be here. This type of thing is right up his alley. For sure. Well, we always start with some uh, some warm-up questions here. Start with you, Evan. What is a movie where you got in big trouble for watching it? Like an R-rated movie that you watched too soon? A movie where like you told your fiancé or your girlfriend or your wife that you'd you know, wait to see it with her, but then you saw it anyway? It shouldn't be interesting at all, but actually uh, Bull Durham. I think I watched that yeah, way too early, maybe like... I had a buddy who didn't have cable but had a VCR. We could just watch anything that they had, and that was a mistake. It was a mistake to watch yeah, it too. Oh, yeah. I got in, got in major trouble. I think just for the sex scenes. It wasn't like trying to shield me from the realities of minor league baseball. But <laughs> and, well, Is this something that like your parents found oh, out? Oh, yeah. No, they found out when I got home. I, I came back down the street and was like, I watched this movie called Bull Durham. And they were like, you should not have. <laughs> yeah. Oversharing with the parents will do that. What about you, Chad? Of all the movies I, I've gotten in trouble for, Spider-Man 3 is probably the most regrettable. My wife and I had a thing before we were even dating. We went to see the first Spider-Man together as friends. And I went to see Spider-Man 3 before our wedding date and didn't tell my wife she wanted to see it. And so she was really mad at me. I was really mad at myself because I saw Spider-Man 3 yeah, okay. And then I had to go back and hide how terrible it was to my wife. Like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. And suffer through it again in pure silence and wait for her opinion. Yeah, well, I've been punished twice now. So you came clean right away? Oh, oh, we knew. And she's like, we're going again. Uh, we're, you're going to go watch it again. Oh, This good. is great. <laughs> this is fine. Uh, hey, punishment fits the crime. Yes. Uh, for me, now I actually, I, the reason I love this question is I actually take this really seriously and I'm not someone who spends a lot of time in movie theaters to where when I was trying to answer the question, I actually don't have an answer because I was always afraid to make someone mad for this reason. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the question a little bit, which was that my girlfriend in college went to see Smoking Aces without me. Mm. Now it wasn't that she went without me, it's that she went and saw it with another guy who she was in the process of breaking up with. 
I thought it was funnier to call her my girlfriend. We weren't dating yet, but we were about to. She just needed to break up with this dude. In the end, I didn't end up seeing the movie because I was still hurt. And uh, I, I think I was also mad that she was like dragging out, ending that relationship too. Evan, what's the last movie that you saw? Doesn't have to be in theaters. Well, you know it's going to be because I had to think about it before that and couldn't come up with one. I think the last one I saw in theaters was, uh, oh, the new Batman. Okay. Uh, which was a slog, but it was good. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was a long movie, but I don't know. I was not of the group that didn't like it. It is what it is, you mm-hmm. know? Our other host, uh, Brian Fry, is a huge, like, Pattinson, like, redeemer. He, he needs people to realize he's more than just a uh, shiny vampire. I'm right there. Oh, yeah, anybody... Anybody we're pro like Yeah, the, <laughs> well, the next um, Batman though is just gonna be three hours of a dark screen, like a pitch black screen. You can see nothing, and we will still praise it. They just keep getting darker and darker. <laughs> when we just keep getting older and older. Yeah. It'll have a killer soundtrack though. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Chad? What was the last movie you saw? I watched 2022 Zombay. I think that's how you would pronounce it. B-A-E. Like the, I don't know what girls call each other. It, what, it's not good, but it's, it's better than it ever has right to be with that kind of title. Like it's something when you see the title and you watch it, you kind of know what you're getting. Zombay. Uh, so was it like Club Dread vibes or was it more like really young kids or something like in the digital world? The closest thing I can come up with is the canceled Netflix show Santa Clarita Diet. So, oh, cool. so the husband gets bitten and the wife has to deal with his newfound hunger and they're working it out as a marriage problem type issue. Yeah, that was Drew Barrymore. Yes, right? that was excellent. This was, uh, this tried. It's tried. Tried its hardest. I had a little time over the weekend, so I did a little uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell double feature. Okay. I watched uh, The Thing. Well, I rewatched The Thing. Excellent. And then uh, I had actually never seen Escape from New York. So uh, oh, I, 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 I had a chance to kind of soak up some of, some of that dynamic between them because tonight, Chad, what movie are we covering? We are doing 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. That's right, another collaboration between Carpenter and Kurt Russell, starring Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, and James Hong. Released in 86, it grossed $11 million domestically. It placed number 71 in the box office, uh, right behind Firewalker and just above Under the Cherry Moon. Two movies I've never heard of before. Nope. Uh, the number one movie that year was Top Gun. This movie has a 7.2 IMDb rating. The critics' tomato meter is 75%. The audience likes it a tad better at 82%. And you know what, Chad? This is actually breaking a little slide for us, right? We, we did have a nomination for this movie. John Carpenter was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Music for this film. Of course. Which, to be fair, I, I did dig the music, music in this film. And... I did know that he had a band and that his band like records music, actually recorded the theme song for this, this movie. And more than just a composer. Uh, I always think that's pretty neat when someone is so multifaceted. But as far as sort of how we got here, uh, Evan, had you seen this movie before? Yes, quite a few times. We're probably pushing 50 maybe for my whole life. Uh, uh-huh. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it used to be, we used to go on a lot of road trips as a kid and had like an old, like little portable DVD player that you could jam in. And that would be one of those absolutely like, let's just watch that again. Anytime it was on TV, that's what we did for sure. Yeah. So a movie that like if it's, if it's on, oh, yeah. clear my schedule, I'm going to sit down and finish it out. No, it's, it's a comfort film for sure. No, it's like watching that, like Lord of the Rings. Like once it's on, you're committed, right? If you catch it, like you got you to gotta finish it. Yeah, well, a lot to keep your attention. Uh, what about you, Chad? Have you seen this before? Yeah, I think I saw it sometime in my early teens, maybe 12, 13 range. And it's one of those movies that was on TV and it definitely gets your attention pretty quickly. And then you're just sitting through this bonkers action comedy and... Yeah, I, I have not even eclipsed 10 viewings. I don't know. I feel like this is a movie I, I hit in the middle most of the time. I rarely get the beginning. So it'd been a while. It's probably a decade plus of me seeing this. I was I was thrilled. We were talking before the show and told Evan this was not a debate. When this shortlist came up, <laughs> it's like question. big trouble in Little China. We're doing this. I want to visit this movie. So definitely grateful dear listener please know that earlier today when i was driving home i was thinking about what's the perfect word to describe this movie and i believe chad just nailed it on the head with bonkers (laughs) (laughs) and here's the best part y'all of course this is the number one thing i bring to the podcast i had not seen this movie before so i got to be in the position where i was able to experience it for the first time truly a gift from evan our guest and then from Chad, who did not give me a choice, we're doing Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, so it was awesome. I, I was expecting, I don't know, I, I've seen the, the poster before. Like <laughs> I had seen what this looks like, at least I thought so. Uh, <laughs> some right. awesome shoulders from uh, Kurt Russell and I don't know, some other stuff. I actually had no expectations for this movie, didn't know what it would be. Especially considering they use the, the term like Little China for Chinatown. I think that's what kind of threw me, was I didn't know that's what we would be getting. Uh, so it's kind of a surprise. Do you remember your first time with this movie, Evan? Yes, yeah, actually, I do. Uh, I was probably, I must have been out for about 10 years at that point, because it had come back out, like uh, there was a TV release for it, and I watched it on i want to say amc with my parents and it was a rainy like sunday or something yeah watching this and going i think the point at which it got me and i went oh this is insane was the uh (laughs) when one of the storms uh (laughs) self-destructs at the end um and i remember watching that and going what on earth is this this looks like a jim henson like this looks like the labyrinth this is so cool yeah it was uh-huh. Uh, yeah, interesting that you could say something like, because this is generic enough, you could say, when one of the storms blows himself up, and you still there's still some detail you're missing there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we keep it ambiguous, because there's a lot of people that haven't seen, you're actually the second person that I've gotten to watch this for the first time I'm this year. so glad that you did. And we'll get into more details about the movie after the break. I will say, I, like with my no expectations, that you've seen this 50 times. Chad, do you remember like your first time watching this? Was it something that was like, oh, earmark this to come back to? What was your first time like? I don't think it was earmark. It wasn't like run to the video store and immediately rewatch <laughs> it type thing. It almost seems like a fever dream because no one really talked about it around me. And I would have the same memories of, hey, remember the eyeball puppet explosion or this giant 
eyeball monster that followed people or everybody that was like Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat was huge. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But I felt like I was a loner, and so I just kind of kept this to myself. Yeah, oh, we will talk about that a little later. Well, I, I don't think it's a stretch to ask if you enjoyed it the first time, having seen it 50 times. I certainly enjoyed it. Now, one of the things I was about to say to, to Evan, I didn't want it to seem rude, but, but the very first thing I was, I was going to mention was, uh, I, how do I put this question? I, I was going to come in with, Evan, are you approaching this movie with the intention of convincing me that it's good? Um, I am absolutely. Not necessarily that you should think it's a cinematic classic, but um, I think it is a master class in pacing and also in uh, the correct use, the correct way to get through exposition instead of the crutch. correct way. Oh, oh my lord, the correct way to get Hi. through it. Hire Gracie Law. Like a band-aid. Don't worry, it's Ooh. just me. Gracie oh, Law. Man. It is, it is the, there is so much exposition that they condense down in about 45 seconds. Uh, all fragged. It, it is a perfect, and it's one of those, if you're a big John Carpenter fan, it is the complete end of one spectrum. It is the fastest and the only like true action <laughs> movie he ever has made. And it's, because a lot of the rest of them are kind of slow. It's, it's a fast movie. And it's really good. It's not one of those things that you have to like. It's entertaining. It is one of the most entertaining movies. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, okay, well, I think we, we've, we've talked enough about sort of our experience with it. Uh, after our little ad break, Chad's going to come back with a full plot summary. So this is where you pause the podcast. Go check out Big Trouble in Little China if you haven't watched it before because Chad is going to spoil it. And then I've got a special little treat for right afterwards. You guys have already actually kind of touched on it. Uh, but we will see you after the break. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, and we are back. Let us remind you, this is the time where you should have seen this movie already. Otherwise, you're going to get a whole lot of details spoiled for you. Chad, with a plot summary, take it away. I mean, this is going to make it sound like a normal movie, but here we go. After winning a bet with his friend, truck driver Jack Burton heads to the airport with Wang Chi to ensure he's paid. Wang's fiance is kidnapped by the Chinese street gang, the Lords of Death. Tracking the Lords of Death to Chinatown, Jack and Wang encounter a street battle between the Chang Sing and Wing Kong. When the mythical three storms arrive and slaughter the Chang Sing, Jack hops in his big rig and runs over David Lopan. <laughs> Exiting his truck, Jack finds Lopan unhurt but glowing with magic. Jack and Wang escape, but his truck is stolen. Wang takes Jack to his restaurant, where he, along with a lawyer friend Gracie, his buddy Eddie Lee, and magician Egg Shin, explain the myth of the cursed Lopan. 
The curse can only be broken by marrying a green-eyed woman, which just so happens to be the color of Wang's kidnapped fiancé's eyes. Wang and Jack break into Lopan's stronghold, and after a harrowing trial, defeat Lopan in the Three Storms, saving both Wang's fiancé, Miao Yin, and Gracie in the process. They go back to Wang's restaurant to celebrate and say their goodbyes. Jack drives away, but unbeknownst to him, a mysterious creature is now hitching a ride on his truck as the credits roll. Yes, and we have no certainty as to how that will happen as the Porkchop Express goes screaming down the highway with some type of orangutan man ominously coming behind him. (laughs) Man, it is hard to think about the well, what did you say like i'm about to describe this like a normal movie right it, <laughs> that seems normal i left out most of the weird magic and things exploding and yeah yeah just uh-huh. all kinds of banana stuff and and we have uh, martial arts uh, on display we do have magic uh, in the in the name of sorcery we have a curse we have a, a, a lot of stuff to cover in a pretty tight window here. And it is everything, it is taking everything in, within me to not immediately just jump into some of the bonkers stuff. But I do have something planned. Uh, because, you know, during one of those action sequences when they are getting into the lair of our bad guy, we have something that's becoming an absolute Chad and Dustin classic. Chad, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the the children get <laughs> Well, it's str- okay, no children, it's, but... it's not a no children thing for us. It's a wheelchair action scene. Oh, goodness, yes. yes. You know who to come to for your wheelchair action. It's Chad and Dustin with the Retro Movie Roundtable. And when there are three wheelchair action movies within the Chinese Zodiac established time interval, you know what it's time for? <laughs> it's time for the Big Trouble in Little China quiz. Oh. Uh, the, the winner will be dubbed the Emperor of Podcasts. And the loser will be sent to the Chinese hell for kids who can't read good but want to do other stuff good, too. But the Chinese have a lot of hells. <laughs> there are two. Yes, the Chinese have a lot of hells. One of those unexpected little gems from this movie. So, dear listener, we are going to get into the plot of this movie. But first, let's, let's, let's do some of these little trivia questions here I've got for our guest and my co-host. I'm going to ask five questions each. Chad, on our, on our Skype call... Um, what I, I'm going to ask you the same question. You have time to think about it. I want you to type your answer to me because I'm going to have Evan go first and I don't want you to like just take Evan's answer. So I want to make sure you have your answers locked in, okay? All right. Now, some of these questions will be as easy as finding a street fight in Chinatown. Others will be as hard as finding a Chinese girl with green eyes. You'll have a little bit of time, but through the sorcery of ancient Texas sound editing, our listeners won't have to wait for your responses. Chad, are you ready? I'm ready. Evan, are you ready? Almost certainly. And here's the first question, which I I think is kind of an easy one. The three storms have an iconic wardrobe. What internationally acclaimed video game series drew inspiration from these villains? Bonus point to name the character. All right, Evan, what is your answer? Oh, that would, uh, Mortal Kombat and, uh... Thomas Jane's Raiden, I assume. <laughs> or no, that's uh, not Thomas Jane. Who is that? Oh, that's, Christopher uh, Lambert. Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yeah, that's who we needed to play <laughs> You got Raiden. me messed up with Spider-Man 3. <laughs> uh, and, and I can tell you that Chad also got that answer. He sent that to me. So that is uh, two points for both of our contestants. Let's move on to question two. What car 
are our heroes driving on the rainy evening on the way to find Miao Yin after leaving the Dragon of the Black Pool restaurant. For clarification, this is the car they're driving during the elaborate ruse where Jack is incognito. Henry Swanson is his name and excitement is his game. Oh yeah, I actually know this uh, and it's a bit of trivia about John Carpenter as well. Uh, It's a pink Cadillac Coupe de Ville, uh, which is John Carpenter's band's name. Uh, that actually does all the, the songs for nice. Big Trouble. It is a Cadillac. Uh, that's what I was looking for. Uh, I had it written down specifically as a Series 62, and it's from 1959. Oh, yeah. Chad, I'm going to take your answer as 1930s touring car as not quite what I was looking for. Yeah, there's another scene where they're driving around in a touring car, and it actually gives back back lot tours now. It's still in use. So, yeah, I... I wouldn't have gotten the specific Cadillac, so yeah, I'm out on that one. Oh, like uh, Eggshen's bus? Yes. Eggshen. Yeah, okay, no, that's, I I would count that. That's fair. They do half it in that. Egg Fu Young Tours. Yes, that's why, thank you for mentioning. That's who we're sponsored by is Egg Fu Young Tours <laughs> uh, from San Francisco. All right, so, you know, this was mentioned before the break. There's a happy little looking beholder floating around. The fog of dead trees <laughs> underneath the lair. Yes, a little fleshy guy, a floating fleshy ball with more eyes than it should have. What does Egg Shen call this creature? I'm going to give a hint to both of you. It's not very complicated. I'm going to guess a seer. A seer is incorrect, yeah. Evan. A seer is incorrect. Right? I have no idea. I have no idea. Well, he seemed to recognize it because there's a lot of like lore to this movie, a whole lot of lore to this movie of stuff that's introduced to you that's pretty neat. Um, And so the characters know each other. They know each other's backstories. They know this ancient Chinese history. Well, that thing is called a guardian. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No points for that. Round question number four. Now, I had a feeling that due to the industry in general and the time that this movie was released, that Miao Yin was not actually played by a Chinese actor. So I looked her up. The first thing that the internet thinks you know her from is being the penthouse pet of the month. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in what year, contestants? In what year? To 1985. All right, that's 1985 from Evan. Right and from Chad, we've got 1979. I'm giving this to Chad. It was 1981. Oh, ah. all right, yeah. But I also have a bonus multiple choice question. Bonus, thank you, Egg Fu Young Tours. What is the first thing Google fills in your search bar after you type the name Susie Pie? And this is a special multiple choice question. Is it A, Susie Pie Heritage, B, Susie Pie Eyes, or C, Susie Pie Feet? Uh, Darn you, Google, with that. I hope it's this, and and she's, yeah. For the dignity of the human race, I'm going to go with A. You guys are both correct. You both said yeah. heritage, and heritage oh, is correct. For the dignity of the human race. Yes. <laughs> Feet is always the second option. But you know what, Rex Ryan? You keep Googling that, Rex and you'll Ryan. make it number one. Rex Ryan <laughs> and Quentin Tarantino are the people driving this. Wow. <laughs> that's that's awesome okay um so this is my last question here and this is the one that was also hinted at 
Gracie Law spews exposition out faster than anyone in the history of recorded times. <laughs> to the second, how long does it take her to introduce her character and explain why they must handle this mysterious low-pan situation themselves while they are in the restaurant? Oh, it's, yeah, it's going to be like five seconds. Okay. We were at a very small amount of time, so I have to go with Evan here. Uh, she manages to knock out a whole lot in 23 seconds. Oh in goodness. 23 seconds, she manages to get this information out for the benefit of us, the audience. Look, you know me. I'm always poking my nose where it doesn't belong, and as a result, I admit it. This mix-up is my fault, sort of. But I've got it on good advice that those punks that jumped me and ripped off his truck, the girl they kidnapped that took her over to the White Tigers for a quick sale, who was she? Oh, God, I'm sorry. If we get over there tonight fast, maybe we can buy her back. A search warrant's too complicated. Violence? Out of the question. She manages to let us know, all right, we are going, and we are going fast. All right, well, as the result of our last question, we do have a new emperor of the podcasts on the internet. That Absolutely. is our guest, Evan. Thank you for playing, Evan. Thank you for playing, Chad. We are going to put a, uh, a long probationary period uh, on, your, on your sentence to being sent to the hell of kids who can't read good and want to do other things good, too. <laughs> I just had to get those, those silly little trivia things out because this movie is chock full of fun little things. Let's get back into the plot. So, we've got Jack Burton. As our primary hero, I think the way that the movie is set up. What do we like about Jack Burton? Well, it's, uh, I was going to say it's interesting because that's the ideas that they're, uh, he is the primary hero, but only for your viewing of it. He's the, he's the sidekick in the movie. <laughs> he's Wang's sidekick. That's why he's, uh, he's bumbling. But, I mean... He's a good one for it. He's loyal. He's honorable. He comes after, I mean, he may be a bit of a twit sometimes, but I mean, he always comes back. He's always in there as long as Wang owes him money and somebody's got his truck. That's a good point. Is he, He's kind of, um, Chad, would you say that like he's kind of along for the ride only because he's looking after number one? He's trying to just get his money? Yeah, I think so. I, I think to some degree he wants to be a hero, but we have a lot of telling exposition throughout the movie. Of, Is this the first time you've plugged someone? It's like, of course not. But you can tell that he's completely ill-equipped. He does the Yosemite Sam American yeehaw moment <laughs> of shooting the ceiling during the final big showdown and knocks himself unconscious. I think part of him wants to be a blowhard and be the hero of his own story but he winds up coming coming off more as like inspector clouseau like succeeding almost in spite of himself yes <laughs> well you know the, the, this being special for me because i had never seen it before i'm thinking to myself who is this jack burton guy he's a truck driver and seemingly nothing else now old Jack Burton would tell you it's all about the reflexes. So yeah. if there's anything about him as a character, it might be that he's got great reflexes. Aside from that, yeah. I don't think we really see him gain the upper hand in any fights. Oh, no, not at all. Well, <laughs> no, uh, not, not, not for longer than a second. I mean, he uh, accidentally shoots two guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He stabs a dude uh, with his boot knife, which is pretty slick for all of one second. Uh, I guess he accidentally uh, kills the... But even, I guess, Lopan's not really the big bad villain. That's It's one of those... 
I think it's interesting the way you brought that up because originally the screenplay was written as a Western uh, right. that got updated, which if you're thinking about it, it's a man rides into town on his horse. All he's got is his reflexes and somebody <laughs> steals his horse, which is why he's doing a John Wayne impression <laughs> the entire movie. That's, that's the bit. I think John Wayne had it together a little bit more. I, I don't remember oh, John for Wayne. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember him asking, well, what's that? What's going on? Who is this? <laughs> Get to the point. I don't understand any of this, which I have to say as a first time viewer was incredibly charming and helpful to be like, no, this guy doesn't understand any of this stuff going on either. Um, what do you think the first like moment for you, Chad, of just sort of like, oh, things are escalating? Oh, man, it's got to be when they're driving into Chinatown itself and the street gangs are both there and he's frozen in the truck as these <laughs> gang members are there then we get the three storms like it's it's already escalated to full out uh west side story just minus the snapping but then we get this is far east side story <laughs> yes far, but the three storms that's just when he you completely know he's out of his element he he attempts to punch them that's just his go-to there's a giant green ball in the sky. The That's three right. storms come back. He tries to punch them. Like, why? Why punch the god of thunder? Yeah, so so we have a little very short opening scene, which I learned was actually inserted after initial screenings. Or no, yeah. uh, it was inserted late, which was, I th- I really would say that Wang is the more capable of them. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And that's very cool. Sort of like, uh, who's the Green Hornet sidekick? Kato. Kato is, is obviously like the martial arts master. Um, and so what we have here is, you know, I think, I think the movie could have been served equally well as these two are equals and friends. But we have it kind of set up like, okay, this is the courageous man. Uh, Jack Burton is kind of the hero. And then at the end of that short little vignette, then we have the magician, the sorcerer, we have Egg Shen create lightning within his hands. So I think we escalate pretty quickly. And I'll say, <laughs> for as bonkers as the movie gets, that first like two minutes or three minutes when I think he's talking to someone that's supposed to be his lawyer. Yeah. I'm taking this pretty seriously. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Which may have been a mistake on my side. And then, so yeah, uh, we see that he's a truck driver. We He's gambling with... His friends in Chinatown, one of them being Wang Chi. I, I thought it was appropriate that when Wang Chi starts talking about this girl he's supposed to pick up from the airport, what does Jack Burton do? He starts rolling his eyes. He doesn't have time for this romantic BS. Like, all right, well, you owe me money. Get my money. All right, I'll take you to the airport. Um, he, he really does narrate the stuff that he does as well, aside from asking the important questions like, well, who are these people? So they, we, we go to the airport, and then we're introduced to something I don't think we saw enough of, which was the, tell me the name of that gang again. Oh, the Lords of Death. Well, yes. So let's, let's get to this then. Evan, will you explain how this is the correct way of doing exposition? Oh, with, uh, when they show up, and it's, it's, so when I say it's the correct way of exposition. Oh, you were talking generally. Yeah, yeah. But- However, but, yeah. but specifically in this, because I think that's the first time you get Gracie Law and you get the first time where she very quickly just shoves something into the side of a conversation. And it's the rip the <laughs> bandaid off approach. Say it so fast that nobody notices you're putting in exposition. 
Okay. Uh, it's just, oh, this character is, oh, like I was saying it before, is like a 1930s, it's like an Adam West Batman. Or like a 1930s radio play. Like I was watching The Thin Man the other day, and that is how Gracie Law talks. Like just this sharp, sharp. And it was it was fun. I didn't. Well, I, I'm not going to say I'm up up to date on Kim Cattrall's filmography. I didn't recognize her right away. Oh yeah, it's like no. first. Oh my goodness, look at look at her. And uh, you know, Jack walks right up to her. I, what what a great line to open up with. Hey, can I ask you a serious question? And she she's very much like trying to blow him off, but within the next forty five minutes, they are romantic interests. It's fun the speed. Chad, comment on the speed here of just how quickly we accelerate into. Now we're going to Chinatown. Now we've got the three Raidens showing up. Now we've got a green meteor. Now we've got an ancient curse. I mean, was there a point when you ever wanted it to slow down, or were you just like, oh, let's just chug along? I mean, we did crank together, and what was our complaint? <laughs> there was slowdown. So no, no. Yeah. And to clarify, we did the movie Crank. I should probably <laughs> not say we did Crank together. But yes, uh, this is the a walking wool that escalated quickly mm-hmm. you know, from Anchorman. So yeah, I I wanted to just pile on and pile on, and oh, all of a sudden we're in a a lair. Oh, there's a basement of the lair that has a giant glowing skull escalator. There are throne rooms everywhere. All of a sudden, there's a ton of ninjas that come in. Jack somehow got an Uzi that makes weird, weird sounds that doesn't sound at all like an Uzi and is shooting locks. Yeah, I think it's also the first gun of that size, whether you call it a submachine gun or a Mac-10. That is a Tech-9. A Tech-9. Which is famously a semi-auto that people convert to full full auto, auto, and it does fire horribly slow compared to an intentionally semi-automatic weapon but no that also the oh my god the gunshots in that all of the stuff is wrong the dude with the two uh colt 45s has rifle rounds and his bandoliers that do not fit the pistols he has like they're not it's so wrong <laughs> that's so, all the guns are so wrong that is why he is the newly christened emperor of the podcast uh th- yeah that's that's a lot of great <laughs> cool little small info um yeah i couldn't believe like i you would expect that to be, you know, to spray and pray, but you no, know, he he handles it okay. I will say, Kurt Russell in the movies, I see him carrying a gun. Really looks like he can't be bothered by it. Uh, he's like, just get this thing out of my head. He carries it like a pack of cards or like a cell phone. Like it's just in his hand. Uh, Chad, you mentioned that we're in this sort of ninja lair. I did not realize that ancient Chinese architecture had so much neon involved. <laughs> uh, nor- it's been updated. And I, on my second watch, I did notice that it was an escalator. But yeah, it's it's kind of a, a little team, which I think was kind of fun. Uh, do you like, instead of it being like a, like a buddy cop or like a buddy movie, we've got like our little crew. And it's not like a heist crew or like explosives guy and the money no. man. We've just got our own little crew. Everybody's independently invested. Like every single person that's coming is independently invested in what they're doing, right? Wang's trying to get his girl back. Jack's trying to get his truck back. Gracie's going in for her story, or going in uh, because the the civil rights of the whole thing. Uh, Her reporter friend is coming and Eddie's coming because he likes the reporter. So everybody's got their thing and they all would be here regardless, but it it works. It's not like uh, there's a reason they're there together doing what they're doing. Margot gets sidelined a little too early for my liking. I 
I enjoyed that character. And this, they're just like, you stay here, which is a line <laughs> that never works in any other movie. It's like, I don't remember her getting in trouble, but maybe she does. Nope. Nope. She literally stayed put. That's good. That's good. I mean, she does get captured. The first time and then listens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, so we've got, we've got a lot going on. Uh, you, you actually did say the, the name of the gangs earlier. The Chang yes. Sing and the Wing Kong. Yes. Um, and then the the three Raidens show up to help one side. I couldn't keep make I couldn't keep that straight. Um, they help the Wing Kong. They help the Wing Kong. Um, and we we also learn something about Lo Pan, right? Uh, another thing that took that took Kim Cattrall's character only twelve seconds to say was that Lo Pan is the Godfather of Little China. You mean the David Lopan that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and who owns the import-export trading company in the same breath, but he's so reclusive that no one's even laid eyes on this guy in years? That Lopan? No, the other Lopan. (laughs) Different 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 Lopan. Lopan. Different Lopan. Yeah, I thought, I really like this because in a lot of movies, especially from the 80s, you have the, like, progressive, the hero just fights a tougher and tougher and tougher dude and he like fights the henchman and then eventually works his way up to the big boss. I like this because like David Lopan is a sorcerer or sorry, Lopan. David Lopan is just a guy. Lopan is a sorcerer but he's got the storms there because they are so much better at fighting than he is. <laughs> he's got stuff to do and so like that's the only reason Jack can even get like Lopan is the weakest of the three. It's like Yeah, yeah. He goes down kind of like a chump. Yeah, I He's one of the people that hired bodyguards with cause. Like, he knew. <laughs> he knew cause. what he was in for. So I am a huge, huge Mortal Kombat fan. And Lopan is the inspiration for Shang Tsung. That's right. And a lot of this movie winds up in Mortal Kombat, especially the first one. So you get the old, decrepit Shang Tsung. And, yeah, it's kind of like that. You've got to fight through the Goros of the world to get to the <laughs> final boss. But right. he's still the final boss. He made it happen. He, he manipulates the tournament. He, And in this case, he's trying to break his curse with the green-eyed woman, which how it takes him so long to find a green-eyed woman. I have two of them in my household. <laughs> I it's not that difficult, people. Uh, San Francisco, I guess, just has an extreme shortage. And neither of the actresses, by the way, actually had green eyes. Those are contacts. Those were contact lenses. They are phonies. Uh, Lopan would have been upset to learn that. I do think that this story is one, it was completely unexpected. And you, you get kind of bounced around a little bit before you get put on the main path, which is... We don't really end up caring about the Lords of Death anymore. Um, no. The, 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 the two, the, the Wing Kong, oh God, let me uh, say it right. You got it, you got it. The Wing Kong and the Chang Sing, their battles, do they get resolved at all? Yeah. So that gets brought, Eddie, talking about exposition, okay, right before, uh, nobody worry, it's me, Gracie Law. When Eddie comes in is explaining all of that, he knocks that out in like, yes, but he knocks out that David Lopan hired somebody to assassinate um, the, oh, you've got me now, the the, uh, Chang Sing's guy and then tricked 
essentially he got, but he kind of controls, I guess, the Wing Kong. They went there to go attack those guys, and then he sent the Three Storms when they lost to go and kill them. Oh, okay. And then I guess the Lords of Death are just like the non-magical street gang level of the Wing yeah. Kong. This was one of the things. My, I, so I was watching this with my fiance, and she's seen it a couple of times. And she went, "Okay," because we paused it at thirty minutes. She goes, "What is this?" And I went, "All right, well, Lopan has been alive for two thousand years and done nothing but create a criminal empire, the complexities of which span evidently three continents and several millennia. It does not surprise me. This this is why he can't find anybody with green eyes. He's a little distracted. <laughs> His criminal empire has gotten the best of him, right?" Yeah, the Chang Sing do show up at the end. They're they're the group that's helping yes. Jack and Wang fight, but I guess none of them survive. Like we well, we get the shot of three or four of them escaping this lair, and there are no more Chang Sing. So I don't know. Maybe they just get buried or, in the rubble, or mainly maybe only a couple of them. Maybe just one group of the most loyal Chang Sing decided to come along with uh, with Egg. And the rest of the crew. Well, I think that's... I don't remember if Egg escapes with them. Because when they leave... They're in the main room, right? Lopan leaves with... Uh, uh, yeah? Yeah, he leaves. And so Wang chases him. And then Gracie and Jack go to head him off at the pass. They go up the elevator. But Wang... Or, uh, but Egg is just sitting there blowing up the throne room. And That's then right. I yeah. think they all bounce. Like... Because he shows back up later to help them up through whenever lightning... But they find some other way out, I guess. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. We get some successes here. There were some women who were being kept in cages who are freed. That's like our first big win. Uh, and then also uh, our, our heroes do escape with the help of Egg. You know, escaping after... After our our sorcerer is defeated by... Now, this is the classic move. And if you don't know this move, you're going to lose at Mortal Kombat. What you do here is you throw your <laughs> knife at the gong behind your enemy. You make him think, oh, this guy must be a fool. He's bad with a knife. Then he'll pick it up and comment how this very obviously rubber knife is a very good knife. <laughs> and then toss it back at you. Now, this is where you got him. Hook, line, and sinker. You catch the knife and throw it right back at his forehead. It is the classic move. But, like, you know, the the idea of what's the future of Little China, like, I didn't... Evan and I were talking earlier. Once the movie kind of lets you know that it's not taking itself that seriously and that we don't have to uh, really explain in detail everything... There's no reason to, like, look into plot holes. Because it's just, we're moving so fast that you don't care about him i could only come up with one like at at all and i think there's a there's a scene uh when they're being captured when they're being held in the wheelchairs um (laughs) yes our favorite (laughs) great right after the wheelchair conference and then they go back to just being in wheelchair dungeon uh when wang's on the ground after they're freed he talks to jack and he goes i understand if you don't believe me and i think that's the moment that's kind of to the audience where it's like look We've exposed you to what this movie is. You do not have to care about it. But if you do, it's going to make this a lot more fun. Chad, what's your take on this, what I consider, generally great combo of martial arts and comedy? Yeah. I mean, America loves Rush Hour. Those were huge, huge hits. And this is well before it. And part of the failure of this movie, at least when we were talking in the box office, because it screened really, really well. But the studio had no idea how to advertise it. Kurt Russell himself said, I have no idea how to pitch this movie. Like 
he was told by John Carpenter to read it several times over before he was on board. So I I think that's a large part of this. They didn't they didn't know how to lean into the comedy when they're advertising like okay, action comedy. Even though we had Beverly Hills Cop in mm-hmm. 1984, we've got stuff like that. So this movie could have been a huge success and it's just so <laughs> regrettable. It's a cult classic now, but John Carpenter got so frustrated with studio interference and the studio is rightly trying trying to I guess meddle with this madness. John Carpenter's just quits. He says, I'm going to do independent movies from now on because the studio didn't get what he was trying to do. Well, I think what he was trying to do in the end, this was this was complete. We even end with a kind of strange, an uncertainty as the orangutan man uh, is. is Carpenter is, really likes to do that in his movies. He likes to, he, they call them sequel endings, right? But he goes, I like to do that and then have absolutely no intention of making an epilogue or a sequel or any, like he did it with The Thing. Yes. Right, it is just like that is mm-hmm. how I like to end movies. He goes, "You don't deserve a resolution. Like you, you didn't, you don't, you don't. Just because you sat through this doesn't mean you deserve a resolution." Well, that's what I wanted to. I'm glad you mentioned Carpenter, uh, Chad, with with his other movies. You know, I would I said I watched Escape from New York. That movie ends with something quite questionable. Now, actually, we we end up do getting a sequel to that movie 15 years later. But uh, is that you you being a horror guy? You know, he had Halloween. Like, what what do you think about Carpenter's influence here? This just stands out as so different for me. I, the closest thing I can think of is something like In the Mouth of Madness, which is another just kind of bonkers type movie. When I think John Carpenter, I think of more steady pacing, where this is just. It's an accelerated clip throughout the entire movie. So I don't I don't know. I have a hard time kind of fitting this in with his other works. It's just it is so, so very different. Um Well I think in and of you're talking about Carpenter. In mm-hmm. and of itself, that's what makes it a unique movie. Is it's not just that like you brought up the pacing, um, Chad, but it's not just the pacing, because they are traditionally slow, like his action movies are not action movies, right? Like the big payoff of New York is they're kind of sliding over a bridge, going side to side. Like there's they they get chased a lot, but there's no. This is the only John Carpenter movie with like coherent, good action. You it either ends up being like Ghosts of Mars, where it's frantic and terrible, <laughs> or it ends up being like Assault on Precinct Thirteen, where it's it's low budget and terrible. And it just doesn't quite. This works. All he the action scenes. He can scenes do work. a lot with a low budget. He absolutely can, but it's it's one of those you can only do so much. And like with the first, the really early stuff, he was pinching pennies and making it work. Mm-hmm. This was the first time that I think he really had a chance. And I, from the onset, said this is going to be a fast movie. Like I guess he got the screenplay and said, "I can't do this the way we did it before. This is going to be quick." And he's going to put some of that budget into. What do we have in the bog of the dead trees? We have a sewer monster. <laughs> Chad, you remember our monster? And, and then we've also got the little guardian beholder. Like this was, I mean, we're 50 minutes in. And like, uh-oh, now there's mythical beasts involved? Yeah, I mean, those things, they strike me almost more as Sam Raimi-isms. Like e- <laughs> Evil Dead 2 type things that pop up. But yeah, I I appreciate, I don't know if the effects... I think they hold up for me because I understand this movie to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek cheesy. What 
second most shocking thing you said, aside from you hadn't seen this movie, was that it had a 7.8 IMDb, and the critics were praising it. It's like, oh, that usually doesn't happen with cult movies. Usually you wind up seeing critics 46% or something like that, where audience is 78. No, people are really enjoying this movie. Even, I think, everyone's in on the joke. Well, I think even at the time, Kurt Russell said it was one of the most confusing things because he said 80% of the interviews, like the press junkets he did before, people were telling him like, hey, so what's it like knowing that you're going to have the number one movie this summer? This is the coolest thing. And then it came out against like Top Gun and Aliens and everything else (laughs) in the world and didn't like it didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I think what happened is exactly what Dustin was saying about John Carpenter getting in kind of a match with the studio. They dropped the advertising budget. That's what everybody said is they dropped it off. I think they got like two million total uh, for the entire. And normally it's like, I don't know, a quarter to half the production. And Mm -hmm. he said it was just like they it for whatever reason. And it found its life. He said specifically, video uh, VHS saved my career. VHS, like, <laughs> Kurt Russell, good video saved my career. Let's talk about Kurt Russell's career. Chad, is Kurt Russell one of our most underrated actors? Oh man, I mean he he literally has the name Ego in the new Marvel movies. Well, right, I I know that, and I would say that Ego is actually less like of a of a huge presence than a lot of his other. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. So I I was talking with Russell earlier today. I was watching a Goldie Hawn movie with Kurt Russell, which uh-huh. which happens with Overboard, and Kurt Russell winds up being John Carpenter's kind of muse for a time time being. It's like Molly Ringwald when we were going over Breakfast Club. She winds up being John Hughes's muse for a, a little bit. So. John Carpenter is just like Kurt. I want you in this movie. We did the thing. They they have four. He likes working with the same guys. Donald Pleasance is one of his guys. Yeah, they they do four movies. I think together it's four or five. But yeah, I I like Kurt Russell's projects. I like his presence, and I don't think he brings too much machismo to this. Like this is a role where he's kind of be got to be a doofus, and he does a great job of it. <laughs> I almost think it's better that he. I wouldn't have liked this if he was ex special forces. Yes. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, he has to be what he is. I mean, I think that's part of why the movie works. I think it's part of the reason you don't question it is because Kurt Rus- Kurt Russell is questioning it for you. <laughs> right? Like he is nonstop asking questions, and you sitting there as the everyman go, "Hey, yeah, <laughs> what is all this?" Uh-huh. He- yeah. I wonder if Chris Farley got his Matt Foley impression from Kurt Russell because it really sounds when he goes into the brothel and he's trying to buy back Miao Yin, he sounds like Matt Foley in his van <laughs> down by the river. Right. It's the same jacket and everything. Yes. Oh my god, I had never thought of that. It really does. Yeah, and the the big glasses too. I wonder if he also then took it for Beverly Hills Ninja <laughs> <laughs> with his role. What kind of he's doing for us. I was thinking, like, how, how frequently he asks, like, I mean, sometimes, and sometimes it's really valid. For instance, I think the household phrase would be, like, a Mexican standoff. And Wang says, oh, this is a Chinese standoff. And what does Jack do for us? What's that? Because <laughs> we'd never heard of one before. Sure. Um, oh, it's a West Side Story type meeting of gangs before the Raidens show up. Oh, okay. Uh, who's that? And then the bunch of Raidens show up. Don't look at Loban 
And Jack says, I already did. Like, it's so very clear that he's out of his element completely. Um, and I think that's, uh, Kurt Russell delivers lines unlike so many others. I, I think of the way he delivers lines in this movie. I absolutely love his line delivery in Hateful Eight. Uh, they, they, they remind me of saying, barking out the things he needs to learn. It's it's fun. And then he does also have enough of like the roguish charm to get away with something like, hey, if we're not back by dawn, wink, call the president. <laughs> like he, his, his personality is something where, uh, Chad, does it seem out of the question that like there'd be an animated series about the Porkchop Express and all of his new misadventures? I would watch that in a heartbeat. Like, sign me <laughs> up. Sign me up for yeah for more of yeah. that. Are there there are other mythologies that we could cover across North America? I mean, we could we just saw Predator go the prey mm-hmm. uh, territory. You got some Comanche right. mythology. So big yeah. big trouble uh, in Oklahoma. I don't know. Give give me the. <laughs> I mean, you could like at Port Chop Express. Think about a movie like uh, Dusk Till Dawn. He could just roll straight mm-hmm. into a whole bar full of vampires. Well, isn't right? it, oh, huge spoilers! That, <laughs> it, isn't that great that sometimes a character that's not a part of a franchise is lovable in a way where you're like, I want to see more of that character and maybe run into other people from other franchises. Right? You don't need a licensed. DC or Marvel property to make a fun story. And this story, as wide as it starts off, I mean, it narrows you in as to the curse of Lopan and how to end this thing of his terrible search for green-eyed women that he's been poor at uh, the whole time. Uh, like, it narrows you in, and then you know they save the day, and what do we get? We get another little kind of twist uh, which I think was was fun from from Carpenter, which was, are you even gonna kiss her goodbye? Nope. No. Nah. Um, and and honestly, the last person he talks to was Wang. Runs back up and gives him a last second, like, hey, thanks again for everything. I thought they were gonna like embrace and be like best buds or anything, but no, he just he takes he goes where the road takes him. Uh, and so the 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 story was something that I I did feel was unique. It all comes together in something that. I did not feel a single time like this was something I'd seen before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a very good point. It's not like... Uh, there are movies that I can think of like after the fact that I think are in the same vein because they tick like 30%. Per- I, I think like the Brendan Fraser Mummy is similar. You get your action-adventure, kind of a horror, kind of a comedy, but none of them hit the same notes and definitely not like plot-wise. Like, oh, yeah, there is a curse or there's this, but it's... They very much did a good job of hitting everything and being very much like nostalgic, something you've seen without being anything you've seen, right? Like, it's not like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, we're, we're driven by the, the, the evil forces, or the ultimate evil, as Egg would say, are driven by uh, James Hong. Uh, and I wanted to touch on this a little bit. Uh, this movie has a great combination with its humor. I think its humor is great. Um, I, I know that our buddy Russell loves comedies. Uh, I I don't rush to the movie theaters for comedies, but I when humor is present and well done, like I I found myself laughing in this movie. Thought it was great. Here's something I want to pose to both of you: Is James Hong too funny for this movie? No, no. 
No? Uh, he nails it. I think the way he approaches it really rounds out his character as a guy that just has no tether to this world. He does not care about how he treats people or just that scene <laughs> where he's just messing with Gracie, just in her face. <laughs> is right. one of those just like, did you just get like, did somebody boop your nose? He's a 20 or 2,000 year old god king emperor and he just booped your nose because he's bored. Yeah, like, and, and he's watching CCTV. Oh, that really pisses me off. It pisses me off to no end. <laughs> to no end, that's right. Well, that's, he has one of my favorite lines in the entire thing, which I think is a perfect thing uh, directed at the audience yet again, which was, shut up, Mr. Burton, you are not on this earth to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll present this to you, Mr. Quizmaster. Do you know why his lair looks so sweet? No, I, I don't. Well, I, I would guess. Are you talking about like the, the very bright white room with like the fine china vases, that particular uh, layer? Oh, I'm talking about the entire aesthetics of the glowing skull or the throne room oh, type of Oh, okay. Like the, oh, the marriage. All of that stuff, yeah. That, it was something where I, I didn't know, but it, in, in, res, in the room like with the, the white vases where they go through the ritual of the burning oh I, i've had it uh, there's two they have to do both yeah. it is i thought to myself this must be an existing place this can't be a set that's literally the only thought burning blade and taming the savage heart ah yes uh, which they used the storms uh lightning yeah. storm and rain to help with that aside from that no lay it on me chad no it, it actually was a set but i am setting wow. this up for russell because lopan is the deity of architecture <laughs> well, well, well. Yeah. well that's, I, we that's have an crazy. evil architect. I do know you can actually, the sets uh, after this movie, except for the one they destroyed, right? The marriage one, the outside, the uh, where they're gambling, and then the, the bits uh, from the actual Chinatown are all, they were all stolen and reused by the group they're in, like, a whole bunch of Janet Jackson videos. They all got used for music videos throughout the awesome. 80s and 90s. And you can see them all. You've got like little Kurt Russell and Lopan images in the background and people just don't know they're there. But it's, it's cool yeah, I mean, if you go looking for them. Egg's Garage was in Ghostbusters. That's Fire Station 23. Oh, that is. Oh, that's awesome. a good eye. I very much enjoy Gracie Law as... A, anybody else watch like... Indi this got compared to Indiana Jones. And when you watch the Temple of Doom... Kate Capshaw's character in Temple of Doom is intolerable. <laughs> is one of the most annoying sidekicks in any movie, and it really brings that movie down. This is how you do that character right. This is how you be like oh, Kim Cattrall is such a delight in that in that role. That was so good. I think she deserves some credit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and bringing that story together for sure. Her cadence is just so strange. It. It takes me a solid five minutes to just accept her as a human being, because when you're when we're introduced to her, it's just it's so odd hearing her speak like that. And they didn't want her. I think that's that's kind of fun. They they knew Kim Cattrall from Porky's, and so they said, "Ah, raunchy comedy. That's not our thing." But John Carpenter was the one that just insisted on her. So uh, Ellen Barkin was the one. That was considered for the role of Gracie Law. Uh, she's in Buckaroo Banzai, which yeah. we covered, and is another absolutely bonkers movie. So check that <laughs> one out. Hear what we have to say. But yeah, yeah, I think uh, it, it's also cool, like based on the time frame, to see like Kurt Russell doesn't age, and some of these like I know Ellen Barkin has had a very good career later on in in her career as well. 
so like to see like when she would have been much younger uh that was pretty neat um <clears throat> well i definitely want to give kim control her flowers but i also want to give some awards for this movie oh yeah chad evan let's get into our superlatives absolutely evan who is your mvp of big trouble in little china my MVP of Big Trouble in Little China was Victor Wong as Egg Shen. Mm. Um, he is essentially <laughs> just wire foo Gandalf. Um, he is the most overpowered. Like, essentially, I guess he's the same power strength as like Lopan, just chucking rocks and blowing people up. And something that I hadn't really noticed till I was watching this again and go back and see it. He is just casually smoking opium through the entire movie. <laughs> um, every time they are at the black pool, he has got an opium pipe in his bed. Like he's not hanging out at the end once they've all got it. He's sitting off to the sides, but it's just, he's Gandalf. <laughs> Wire food Gandalf has to make it into this episode description. Good choice. Chad, who's your MVP? I went John Carpenter. I think the lukewarm response to this movie causing him to give up on big studios. Look, this guy was right, and cult status proves that John Carpenter was right. This movie is charming. He does the music for it. He does. He convinced Kurt Russell after making him read. He's like, now read it again. Okay, now read it again. Now read it a fourth time and tell me you're going to work with me. So, yes, I love John Carpenter for this effort and for all the criticism he got. He gets his flowers now through our podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm actually going to go with. Uh, I, I normally pick uh, some like expected choices, whether it be director or lead. Um, I'm going to go with Sandy King, who's John Carpenter's wife. <laughs> now, I didn't choose her because it's John Carpenter's wife. It's because she was the script supervisor on this movie, um, and she ended up being the producer with a lot of his like affiliated movies. Somebody had to say these lines, this dialogue is good enough <laughs> and that was her and i gotta tell y'all that the the it's like evan said to me once once the movie establishes that it's not trying that hard it's not taking itself that seriously and we are moving it's okay to break what you might consider like the rules of like movie making and just like boom here it all is uh and i thought that was awesome so a great job covering the script Best supporting actor, Evan. Oh, I'm gonna go with the. Uh, well, this is this was my point before. I think, I think that uh, Wang is the lead, and therefore Kurt Russell is the best supporting actor. And if you don't accept that, I'll take Gracie Law because sure. just why not? Like, but I could have somebody expand on that more. The fact yeah. that Wang didn't really have to do much martial arts training, he's like, oh yeah, I dabble, and apparently, no, dabbling meant. I'm amazing at this and can do wall runs and things like that. Right. Yeah. But, I heard that young man the entire time he was on set had a sword in his hand when he wasn't doing stuff. He did not want to mess up that last scene. And just every time he wasn't being shot on the side of the set was just practicing with a sword, trying to get it right okay. for that duel. And that's awesome that he, because I had to know if he did his own stunts. I looked it up. Uh, it seemed like he was up to the, up to the challenge. Who's your best supporting, Chad? James Hong, who also had to do his own stunts, even though he begged not to. He was terrified of that escalator. The escalator, Because yeah. he was holding up his robe, and he's like, I'm shaking because I'm so nervous. I begged for a stuntman. But you know what? His, especially the decrepit Lopan, I love 
the just kind of insanity that he brings to the role. And he's someone, he has his own separate Wikipedia page for all the stuff he's been involved in. So check him out. James Hong is just so much fun whenever he shows up in something. I remember him saying something about like he's wearing platform shoes yes. uh, when he's on the escalator and that kind of freaked him out. And then on top of that, we didn't even mention that Egg and uh, Lopan do shoot Kamehameha waves at each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the waves have little like Voltron style fighters within the graphics, within the special effects that I, do battle. Yes. J- James... <laughs> James Hong with his with his little the, fingers the doing the doing the pressing the buttons. Pinky fingers. It looks like he's playing a video game. <laughs> so, you know, before video games were really, um, you know, widespread. Uh, my my best supporting was Dennis Dunn as Wang oh. Chi. I, I thought he uh, this was the closest thing to a straight man, uh, and I think the movie needed it. Um, I am not saying I wanted this movie to be more serious. I just think we we needed him. Um, now some of the things were corny, but that's okay. Uh, I still I still loved. Uh, he he had a bit of the silly underneath his facade as well. And then um, Chad, you know, I was brought on. I was brought on this podcast to do wheelchair movies, big boat <laughs> movies, romance movies, and kung fu movies. So it was a. I had to go with him. All right, this. Aside from the gems that are technically grenades, we've got a bunch of other <laughs> hidden gems in this podcast. Evan, what's yours? All right. So my, I we're doing specifically character. I had uh, the Chang Sing's hand sign guy. I don't know if you caught this. So like when they first are in the, uh, yeah, they have little thing. It's and he like keeps doing process. it throughout the entire, just anytime anybody makes eye contact with him, he just makes a little hand sign. Just, hey man. Yeah. Chang Sings. <laughs> yeah, and we're all doing it to each other right now, but like that that little it's it's sort of a uh like a kung fu martial art like ready pose. It's not the welcoming palm, it's its own thing, but it's almost like this movie's version of the thumbs up or the Yeah, A-okay. very much. Very much so. Uh and they all do it to each other in the elevator, which uh I was rolling on the floor. What's your hidden gem, Chad? I just went with the set design. I'm gonna keep going back. If you put a giant glowing sky skull with an escalator and the throne rooms and these fantastical corridors with statues filled with art whoever was designing this set i'm pretty positive that's where most of the budget of this movie went to and i'm (laughs) i'm glad they just went nuts well and that's another carpenter thing too i believe uh for the thing he went 1.5 million dollars towards uh those uh all all those practical things uh like i and i i love when uh you know you look at the not when the beholder guardian is floating but when it's on the ground you can you can see that it's sort of like a puppet from underneath yeah. and it looks just as good as when it's the special effect i love that kind of thing my hidden gem uh is with some of the john carpenter action stuff like i think there's times when like women have only one role in his movies and in this movie, we had two different sort of lead, not lead women, but we had two women in like the gang. And then we had a whole set of female guards. The, the, <laughs> the, the women weren't just in cages. You had a whole set of female guards and they're pretty formidable. And one of them wields a tonfa, which are sort of looks kind of like a nightstick. And I used to practice with those when I took my karate class in college in order to satisfy my athletics 
scholarship, you had to take one credit, and I would take uh, I would take uh, karate, and uh, I, I practiced with those, and she wielded them in a very proficient and cool way. So I kind of cheered for that. I thought that was very cool. Tonfa woman. All right. Let's go to our, our one of the harder superlatives. Uh, who are you going to recast in this movie if you have to? Yeah, I'd have to. That's hard. That is hard. I, the only one that I had, and it has to be just because of the role she was given, specifically, Mao Yin being a green-eyed woman with no lines to help her out, almost no lines to help her out, and no green eyes, kind of hurts. <laughs> that, that's one of those, like, she had one job, literally one job, not through any fault of her own. And they had to do contacts for it. She did a lovely job. And she, she actually, I found out, did do really... Hong is just stabbing her. That needle is supposed to be retractable. It is it just oh, does no. not. Yeah. And is just going into her arm. And she, you can kind of see it in her He's face, but she doesn't like wince it at all. Oh. She doesn't wince. She does well, but you can't tell. That's, that's the only one I'd oh, wow. say. Yeah. Good. That's a, so, yeah, we, let's get someone in that fits that role well. Uh, one of our past guests made a, a very similar choice one time. It was like, you know, this character is supposed to be Native American, and you just get a big white guy in there to play Samson Posey from The Dirty Dozen. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you just need to, yeah, it's important to look at who and what and why you're casting. Uh, Chad, who's your recast? Yeah, I went after Susie Pye as well. I <laughs> I think she's just wooden in this performance. It's her first acting gig. She, she comes off of modeling. So I think nowadays you could put someone like Olivia Munn in this role, but... But for this specific time period, I think getting someone like Michelle Yeoh would be a huge win. Yeah, um, and I think Michelle Yeoh, and I, I still, I, I'm a huge fan of her. That's a great choice. My my recast is originally Kate Burton was in my sights. Kate Burton playing Margot, um, but you know she, she's I, I don't I don't want to target her. She, she plays that character very specifically, and that's yeah. how that character needs to be. So I'm going to go with uh, sort of on the Kung Fu side. Carter Wong plays okay. one of the one of the storms uh, Thunder. Thunder. And uh, I would prefer it we don't have too many very large, like huge mass uh, Kung Fu actors but I'd love to see Bolo Young there. You guys will remember Bolo from Enter the Dragon. I'd love to see him in that role. The strange thing is Thunder in this movie is the, the only one that really has lines. Yes. Um, and Bolo wouldn't do well with that. Yeah. But, you know, but, <laughs> that's essentially all I was looking at. But Carter Wong, he was actually a martial arts instructor with the Hong Kong police. So he's got that cred. Well, what I was thinking, and I was, we, we moved Bolo into Carter Wong. We moved Carter Wong over to Rain. We lose Rain and we keep Lightning. I, I don't feel good picking on them. Because they were iconic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's one of those. Rain is the only other one other than Carter that has kung fu, and I, much, very much similar to uh, uh, Susie Pye is the what uh, Lightning is just a model. He's just a model. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who I think did learn some stuff, but still. Yeah. Uh, Lightning was not penthouse pet of the year, though. Great hair, though. It's Excellent hair. Three thousand dollar wig. He was talking. About. I read that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was uh, very excited to be able to play a character with long hair. I'm glad no one said Jackie Chan because that was almost who we got for David Dunn. It's just they felt his English wasn't good enough. Obviously, we get Rush Hour and that's a lot of fun, but man, I love David Dunn in this role. 
Well, and it's never it's never gotten better, and that's okay. Um, I think yeah. uh, of of the two people I think of who speak a lot of English but have never really improved, and that's okay, is Jackie Chan and our one of our finest tennis players of all time, Rafael Nadal, <laughs> does not really care about speaking English any better. Uh, no, that's okay. He's got twenty four Grand Slams. What is your best shot? Uh, speaking of shots, <laughs> the best shot of the movie ever. Uh, best single shot, I gotta say, when thunder explodes, is <laughs> it is both the most carpenter shot of the film, and it is yeah. like, I, I that's the one that sticks with you. I think it definitely stuck with me, especially like the the bug eyes coming. Yes. yes, and it is only like a couple of frames, like it's almost nothing, and then it explodes off screen. Yeah. Like, was it important to the progression of the movie? Uh, maybe not, but it was very cool to see that. Uh, your best shot, Chad. Wang and Thunder fighting, it's it's a door frame shot, and they just go in and out of frame fighting. It's used to great comedic effect. Yeah. This has come up throughout several of our movies. <laughs> Whenever they do this shot, I I will clap. I will be entertained. Yeah. This is my shot. Yay. <laughs> yes, they did the thing. <laughs> they That's did it. such a good one. And you know what? I didn't think about that one until my second rewatch. I think if you were to describe those characters, I would have said when they're both flying through the air at each other, I think four times. <laughs> um, like that, that, that would be the first thing, but it is actually the door frame shot that is best. Those are, there's a couple of those where you go, it's a Scooby-Doo. There's, there's a couple <laughs> yes. of lines that you could finish, like go like, wait till they're done and go mm, zoinks or <laughs> jinkies. But like that is, it's like a Scooby-Doo moment. Or like the high end of the xylophone. Oh, like, he even does it with the score a couple of times where he gets in there just a do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like that kind of thing. He does it every once in a while and I don't know if it's intentional. Oh, I'm sure. It's, it's meant to add to the fun because the movie adds to the fun. Um, okay, so that was yours, Chad. Mine is, uh, it is after Lopan is defeated and they are just getting out. So one of the storms explodes, but Lightning is walking towards Jack as he's boosting everybody up through the manhole or whatever that is. And I gotta say, the Lightning effects themselves in this movie are spectacular. I don't know if they, like, I, I can't think of many that were worse beforehand, but this looks as good as if it were made today. And from where he's walking, because he's silent, to where he's walking from, it's in the dark, there's red light behind him, and he had just cast so much electricity that the big metal grate behind him is melting. He falls to the ground. It was it was an amount of, like, uh, take-my-breath-away shock that I was like, whoa, didn't expect to, like, to get pulled into the, the visual candy. I'm surprised they didn't pick an actual kung fu thing. But I wish there was awesome. more point to that shot. Because he dies in, like, the next scene. They crush him with a Buddha. They drop a Buddha on him. <laughs> yeah, egg, egg drops a Buddha on yeah. him. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate that's not, like, the beginning of the movie to really establish. Because it is such... You're right. It's so cool. That yeah. frame is awesome. Um, and and when, I, when I was watching it the first time, I typically watch it the first time without taking any notes. But I had to whip my computer out real fast. But this is the, this is the shot. <laughs> well, now let's go bigger to best scene. Evan, what's your best scene? The Three Storms Arrival. <laughs> that is is just, that's the moment, because the entire thing going in there, and I love when they go down the alley for that, because Carpenter does this great thing where he changes the, the color tone of the entire shot, right? Everything when they're out in the day is, is all light, and then you get in there. When the Three Storms show up, that's when it's on. You know, that's when the movie's on. That's when it starts. That is cool. And you also see something that isn't brought back, but... They have a strange weaponry. Now, Thunder's, yeah. thunders sort of uh, uh, knives with the the sort of reverse moon pommel in a way. Those come back, but 
one of the one of the storms is wielding like little metal claws on the end of I, like chopsticks. Yes. yes. And the other one is wearing like little propellers. So this infuriates me because not because the the weapons are dumb, but because lightning is holding the spinny ones. Why would they not give that to the wind guy? And why would they not give the thing that looks like tiny little lightning fingers that are metal little lightning fingers yeah. to the lightning guy? Wouldn't that make sense? Well, and they end up giving Rain a, a great opportunity to show off these uh, very cool dual sword yeah. techniques. Let's lead off with those. Let's, let's show them. Instead, we get they. It almost looks like gadgetry. It almost looks a little too. Yeah. Silly. But I still love that. And the reason I jumped on it so much is that's actually my best scene as well. Oh, cool. Uh, so, uh, but and, and also particularly because we get Jack's lines of the well, who are these guys? <laughs> it, it, that that makes that scene even better. Uh, what about you, Jack? You've you've accurately described it as a Dragon Ball Z type scene of Egan <laughs> Lopan just conjuring the spirits and just the over the top for me with Lopan using his pinkies to manipulate things. This is just this is the climax of insanity and I'm here for it. The climax of insanity. Yeah, if if they ever did a, a big trouble in Oklahoma City or whatever sequel we were talking about. That needs to be the subtitle is the climax of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, what's your best wardrobe or makeup moment? Oh, best. I, well, wardrobe and makeup uh, is James Hong. I mean, as ghost Lopan, but I understand that uh, the prosthetics for old Lopan were insufferable. He evidently mm. hated them. Um, I would hate but them. yeah, I can't imagine. But that, oh, the classic Lopan being, oh, and it's on Jack's shirt too. You ever notice that? That's Lopan on his shirt. No, of course not. No, I, I, I'm not, I don't have that eagle. Yeah, it's Chad, just... Did, did you notice that? I didn't, know. He's running around with the bad guy of the movie on his shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Spaceballs-esque. Right? And just nobody... I didn't notice it until... It's like short round with an Indiana Jones t-shirt. Was, to say how much I love this movie, I own one of those shirts, and I didn't notice it until I owned it. I had to look at it while watching the movie and go... Oh, I have oh, I'm silly, aren't I? <laughs> Apparently, the Pork Chop Express logo has been very popular. I can see that. Too. I also didn't notice till this time that he's actually carrying pigs at the beginning. Carrying pigs in, in the his, Pork in Chop Express. Oh, okay. He's hauling pigs. Oh, okay. Like as his uh, as his load. Yeah, yeah, that's where he's taking to the wet market. Because most of the movie it was without the trailer. Yeah, no, that would have been impossible. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a good choice. Um, what about for you, Chad? Oh, for me. I need an explanation of this costume, but there's one guy, one bad guy in the lair that's dressed in like this dragon mask or goblin getup, and <laughs> the, nobody else came to this costume party. It's like they tricked him, like they they did to. Uh, <laughs> they told him we we're dressing. Up. Yeah, like Ryan Reynolds being tricked into, "Hey, it's a Christmas party. Come with an ugly Christmas sword." This dude shows up, no explanation. I want more of random goblin guy. Yeah, I, I actually I can't think of it. Um, I, I can't even picture it um, as far as standing out in that way. Uh, I missed him. I missed random guys. He's in several shots and just nothing. Everybody, I have to imagine the oh. budget was spent. Like everyone was going to be dressed this way, and then they're like, "Yeah, just one. We made it." Was he, is he wearing the same? clothes as everyone no. else and it's just the goblin mask he, no he's full different goblin. yeah he's he's got like samurai type armor with a goblin dragon style mask wow no I'm, i missed him wow i can't believe oh. it 
Uh, well, you know, I have also seen a lot of movies with uh, samurai masks and uh, seen a lot of their helmets. And uh, maybe, maybe I've just become desensitized to those standing out to me. Huh. Maybe uh, for me, uh, my I've got a wardrobe, which is uh, Jack is forced to wear a light blue kimono. <laughs> uh, which is uh, very fun when he's in the, the the restaurant. So there's the kimono, but also I wanted to ask both of you, specifically the ghost Lopan, the white makeup, the blue eyeliner, his very particular garb, and then there's a hat that has a nail through it, and that yes. must be intentional. Is is it a, like a Chinese spirit that he is draw that they're actually drawing from real lore? I have no idea, but I'm going to speculate wildly based on something that Chad said, which was, I did not know until he brought it up, that Lopan was the, I don't know, deity uh, or patron of, of, architecture. of architecture, and maybe something having to do ah. with building is why he's got a nail through his head. Yeah. It also could just be some like Chinese style of a particular dynasty that I am completely ignorant to. Well, right, right. Uh, or, or, yeah, it might be that uh, the, the the traditional garb looks like x but it's when this it's almost like in lore this guy does get cursed and when he gets cursed that's when the nail through his brain oh happens. that would be interesting like it, possible or something yeah yeah but i just i i thought like oh this reminds me of like porcelain dolls or like geishas that bright white makeup um so i was just i wonder if you guys had any insight uh finally uh i always like to give a worst a worst wardrobe and makeup moment mine is uh, there's Susie Pie is put into a terrible yellow, like billowy tulle fabric mess of a dress, and it's awful, and I hate it. <laughs> uh, but that's not my change one thing, Evan. Uh, if you have to change one thing about this movie, it doesn't sound like you'd even want to. But if you had to, what uh, there would you are a couple. I mean, yeah, if I had to change one thing, I would. Oh, partly you brought that up, making uh, not rain lightning's scene relevant at the end yeah, there. Yeah, cool. Um, and I don't know. I could have gone with. Uh, more underground shenanigans in the like with the black blood of the earth that that scene it is only it's only an hour and 39 minutes long like you could have you could have given me five more scenes with some more guys like randomly eaten by monsters yeah yeah and have that uh be more of a threat or uh maybe that, maybe it explains some other disappearances that don't get solved or, or something. As a relevant. criticism of the movie, I have heard that and not thought about it until recently. Of somebody saying, it never felt like the heroes were in danger. Mm. Well, you know what? I have something to say about that very soon. Uh, Chad, what is your change one thing? Yeah, I think I want more Chinese hells. So I want this to almost be <laughs> yes. Dante's Inferno level. Like we're going to visit different rooms because we got, what, two or three of them mentioned the, mm-hmm. the little monster which they just egg just goes you will come out no more and danger's gone and he doesn't yeah what what will he come tossed out no like more? eight of those skittle grenades <laughs> as skittle well. he grenades. used so many of them that is such a perfect carpenter scene though you talk about like with exposition versus not exposition he takes the flashlight shines it on them and then throws them doesn't explain what they are why they need light what he's blowing up where they're like <laughs> none of it and they just like yeah grease the monster let's keep moving let's keep, what? Let's keep going it's yeah. unimportant with the short time frame of this movie and how much they pack into it i think if we could take the time used for eddie and Margot mm. and either combine that into one combined additional character who's part of the gang 
or to put that time into developing the relationship between um, Jack and uh, Gracie, between Jack and Gracie, I think that would be helpful. I didn't think that the time that they had on screen, there was some stuff that was corny. It was like, oh, why do you want to stay behind? Oh, you know, Eddie has a crush on you. What? You mean the same way that you have a crush on Gracie? It's, it was a very middle school, that yeah. line. And then, like, there's nothing wrong with being corny. Uh, but, like, I think their presence didn't add too much for me. Um, so I think if we could take our limited amount of time and reuse that for something else would be, would be pretty good. Uh, well, now, one of my favorite superlative, Evan, what is your best quote of the movie? Uh, it may, in fact, be my favorite quote from an action movie in the from 80s. Movie. <laughs> uh, well, I, it's hard, but uh, for sure, is the, uh, I'd go with you, but I know there's a problem with your face. <laughs> Do you not remember that scene? That is my favorite line. They're waiting to go, and it's it's to go storm the uh, uh, place for the first time is the telephone operators, and him and Gracie are having the argument. He goes, she goes, yeah, well, I'd cool. go with you, but yeah, I know, there's that problem with your face. There's a problem with your face. I do remember it because I think it was right before that where it was like, oh, and he he has to look stupid, and she's like, don't worry, he does. <laughs> so yeah, they, they kind of give those little barbs to each other. I love them. Yes, I do remember that. Uh, all right, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what about you, Chad? I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Like, yeah, that is a great summation of everything that happens to Jack Burton. <laughs> That's kind of uh, it's kind of tame too. Like of him, like not not going, like not turning the knob all the way up to eleven. Like he's just like, this is, guys, this is bonkers. This <laughs> <laughs> is perfect. This is very unreasonable. Don't you love though? But like by the end, where he's accepting the answers to his question, what you got there? Where it's a sex demon bag. Fantastic. Sure. What's in it? Yeah. Birth, fire, that kind of thing. Great. <laughs> <laughs> What's behind this? Is it paper? Yeah. <laughs> just cut through. That's the <laughs> for the PG thirteen. Right. They have to. Yeah. They, There's they're just allowed, one. allowed to have one. Uh, there's another one too, where uh, <laughs> right before Egg is about to have them drink the magic potion. What's in that flask, Egg? Magic potion? Yeah. Good. What do we do? Drink it? Yeah. Thought so. Good. Thought so. <laughs> like, he, he, it's all just coming together and that leads me to my actual favorite quote which is after they drink the magic potion they're all in the elevator and they're doing the cool thumbs up to each other and Jack says essentially to camera I feel kind of good I'm not scared at all I feel kind of invincible evidently Kurt Russell has fan interactions in elevators with that all the time that is a classic they do stand with him and just go I feel kind of invincible <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. All right. Well, I need to hear Evan's rating for this movie. We do 0.5 is our lowest, 5 is our highest on a half half star rating okay. system. So uh, out of five stars, what do you rate this movie? Oh, I'd give it a solid 4 to 4.5 for sure. Um, as a movie, absolutely. If you ask me as a film, maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Well, and, and as something that is... You know, you've watched it four dozen times. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've learned to love it in new ways. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the movie exists in its form, and it can't exist in any other way. That's the best thing that I... I love when people bring that up. Like, that's one of those... There's nothing that John Carpenter can do, no remakes, no nothing that could ever ruin what this is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good rating. Chad, what is your rating? 
landed in the same range. I went four stars. I think it's just an absolute blast watching this movie and just getting to play along with it. And I, I think this movie is like the walking definition of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So collectively, yeah. is this a bad movie? Probably, but I don't care. I have fun. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going to go with, I'm a little lower than you. I'm going to go with three, but I think I'm going to say it's one of the highest rated threes I've ever given. And it also, <laughs> it punches above its weight class. Absolutely. And what you said about like, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Remember, I'm coming in completely brand new. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, there's some there's some stuff that really, really they're they're gambling on you not caring about a full explanation. They're gambling on you not needing uh, like, you know, perfection or uh, I, I don't need to get into the things that I consider like rushed or any of that stuff. I just think it's it's better than what a three should normally be. But with some of the, the corniness, some of the pace, some of the uh, shots, it's, it's especially as a guy who it's not right to call myself like a kung fu movie expert, but as being one of my favorite things, you know, some of that stuff uh, prevented it from going higher. But it's extremely enjoyable, and on top of it, I would recommend watching it. And I'm glad it was suggested for us. Uh, so, thank you, Evan, for, for picking that out. Oh, it was my distinct pleasure. <laughs> you could tell. God, I've got more. <laughs> you could tell. Well, you know, we, we love guests to come back. And also, a special thanks to uh, Cameron for saying, you got to get my fiance. <laughs> oh, well, I'd like to thank her right back. This has been a great experience. And we got to stop talking about Big Trouble in Little China for right now because we got to select a movie for next time. Chad, you ready? I'm ready. Infidelity, Heartbreak, and Revenge coming your way next week. Option one, First Wives Club from 1996. Reunited by the death of a college friend, three divorced women seek revenge on the husbands who left them for younger women. Option two, Scenes from a Mall from 1991. On their 16th anniversary, a married couple's trip to a Beverly Hills mall becomes the stage for personal revelations and deceptions. Or option three, She-Devil from 1989. A surprisingly resourceful housewife vows revenge on her husband when he begins having an affair with a wealthy romance novelist. What are we going to pick, Chad? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me <laughs> what to say. First Wives Club. Wonderful. Well, Chad, thanks for joining me. Evan, thank you for joining me. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show with dollars on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other. And watch more movies. Chad? All those souls and you still don't have one of your own. I pity you, sorcerer. <laughs>